to... Uh, this is a very serious, a very, very important uh, type program here tonight. You know, once in a while we do straws and wind. And uh, there's no better time in the world uh, to tell what the straws are in the wind than during the time of a uh, vast uh, public holiday. This is true, you know. In fact, if you noticed the, uh, the number of times fights break out in the family on the wedding day, just the other day it was a headline. Did you see that one? Well, this is because uh, the holidays uh, always, any kind of a ritualistic fete, kind of like the word there. It's kind of good. I'll try that again. Anytime uh, we uh, have a, <laughs> a ritualistic fete, I'm sorry, a fete is spelled with an A. Fete is spelled with an E. <laughs> and you stick around. You're going to learn a hell of a lot. We'll leave this little slot here. But uh, anytime mankind gets involved in any kind of a, you know, giant hazarai or, you know, a, 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 an enormous celebration, you prefer that, this is when the good and the bad come out of that particular time. That, you know, it changes from year to year. That's one of the great things about mankind. He does not remain the same like, the, like say, the mud turtle. Mud turtles are almost identical today with the mud turtle of, say, maybe 3,000 years ago. Except that the mud turtle today is, if anything, somewhat slower. He's just slowing up. Whereas man, on the other hand, he looks the same, though. He's got the same mean temper. Whereas man, on the other hand, goes through these fantastic, uh, vast changes. I mean, you remember reading once in school one time, briefly, and you flunked an exam about it? Uh, you know, and you remember reading about the age of reason? Which, of course, never touched your class, naturally. <laughs> oh, the age of reason, friends, has been over for maybe 200 years, so don't worry, you're not the only one who was left out. <laughs> of course, the thing about our age is a lot of people think that they are the only reasonable ones living in an unreasonable age. This is one of the great myths. Unbelievable myth. I mean, and then you, were, you read about the Renaissance, right? You read about that? Uh, you read about the Dark Ages. That was a bad time. I mean, I, I'm sure that some guy walking around, you know, wearing his bearskin rug, uh, talking to his friend who had this big brass ring around his neck with chains on it, you know, he, he, he talking to him. He, they didn't... Wamba. You know, I, I, I'm translating, of course, from the early... Uh, the early uh, Anglo-Saxon here for the benefit of the people in Queens who are not hip on Anglo-Saxon currently. But the Anglo-Saxon, difficult language to speak, it uh, calls for an epiglottal tongue. Now, the epiglottal tongue is a large, fat, thick tongue shaped somewhat like a small salami. And uh, you have to... We don't have that. This, of course, again, that's evolution, Darwin and all. We don't have that any longer, so we can't speak pure Anglo-Saxon. Hmm. <laughs> Something like that, roughly. Wamba. Well, Wamba was the name of his friend. His name was Girth, or Garth, as it was called in those days. They pronounced U's differently then. His name was Garth. Uh, Garth turns to Wamba. Wamba. And Wamba says, Garth. And he says, Dark Ages. Well, that was a terrible realization, to realize that of all the time in history to be born, these poor slobs were born in the Dark Ages. Uh, not very easy to take. Uh, and it made the bearskin rug itch somewhat. It's, uh, they never did feel very good, but especially with those lice. Hey, did I ever tell you about this friend of mine? 
speaking of bearskin rugs, I don't know why I bring this up, but this happened to a very famous guy. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's a real famous uh, movie actor, star type. Anyway, he he uh, he had this uh, old family house. He's from originally from New England. He doesn't say much about that. He likes to pretend that he's actually from uh, Cinema Land, but he he actually is from a from a small, very tacky town in uh, Upper Vermont that went out of business about you know 45 years ago. It's one of these towns made out of gray shacks with old 52 Fords rusting away behind the house and the weeds. You've seen those places, you know. One shell station that's had a sign out in front of it, you know, since 1932, says, out of gas, no money. And uh, this is the kind of town he's from. <laughs> and and uh, he, he doesn't say much about it, but it's the truth. He, he's from this town. And for those of you who are, who are you know, cuckoos about bears, who really love the bears and, and the outdoors, this is another side of bears and the outdoors, which is not brought to you by Walt Disney. If you watch Disney uh, very faithfully, you will realize that things like uh, man-eating tigers are really just kittens, really sort of... Have you seen that commercial that implies that your kitty, your itsy-bitsy kitty, is almost the same as, uh, you know, this giant tiger? And that they're both playful little creatures. Well, I once talked to Clyde Beatty, the famous... <laughs> you remember the famous... Uh, Lion and tiger uh, trainer, whatever you call him, the guy in the circus, he's, let me tell you this. He said, he says, turn your back on a tiger and you want the farm. That's his only, <laughs> that's his only remark about tigers. So if you think they're just nice, overgrown little kitty cats, well, let me tell you, it's all a matter of, really, it's all a matter of uh, uh, degree, you see. Uh, the kitty cat would do the same thing as a tiger if he weighed 700 pounds. He doesn't. So he has to content himself with just merely eating the uh, Castro convertible up. You know, once in a while, ripping your leg from knee to ankle. Uh, but he tries. You know, he does his best. So it's a matter of degree. Let's face it. If there was a three-inch high man, he would have one hell of a time hunting elephants. Uh, but uh, <laughs> we're seven feet tall sometimes. You know, if you watch the NBA, you know, this is quite common. That's a pretty big animal. You know, the size of man compared to other animals. Uh, seven foot high. All right, Will Chamberlain, seven feet high, right? This guy that plays for UCLA, what is he, seven, seven feet? Walton, something, give or take a foot or two, you know. He's, uh, at that point, it gets academic, you know. The other day, they were playing a team where the center was seven feet four. And, uh, yeah, you know, this is getting out of hand completely. So man is one of the larger creatures. He really is. He, he has to be ranked... Uh, He's much bigger than a gorilla. There's not many gorillas that are seven feet four inches tall. He's, you know, a gigantic creature. So, because of that, we're dangerous, right? So, uh, everything, given the chance, given the, given the heft and the weight, uh, tends to become rough and mean. Anybody who's ever seen an elephant on a rampage knows about that. How many times when you watched old, late, late movies, you know, your Tarzan movies? You know, Johnny Weissmuller, do you ever see those? Uh, they come on about 4 o'clock in the morning. You've seen them. Along with endless, uh, what's the story, Jerry? Commercials. Endless, endless. Uh, <laughs> and, and places that sell used cars, if you have been refused, one of my favorite commercials late at night is a guy that comes on. You don't see him, but you hear his voice. He says, have you been refused credit everywhere? Have you been turned down on every credit agency in the country? Well, come to to uh, Uncle Fred's used car dealership in Queens, and we'll put you right into a new Cadillac. I know that sounds pretty interesting. 
I mean, you know, can't you see his great customership all lined up there? <laughs> that shoddy crew. But uh, nevertheless, uh, the the the, uh, the point that we're trying to make here is that uh, danger is often a matter of, of merely uh, uh, the ability to do it. The many people are extremely peaceful, and uh, they walk around wearing love buttons because they wear they weigh ninety three pounds. They're four feet nine inches tall and uh, tend to get shoved down the stairs any time they try to get into the IRT. You know, they get stepped on their head. So you tend to become very peaceful when you're very tiny. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, somebody like, uh, say, Alan Page of the Vikings, he does not have to be a peaceful man. He just uh, pushes the defense or offensive line, in his case, right? He just pushes the offensive line over like a bunch of bookends and goes charging through, stomps on the quarterback, goes back and is named All-Pro. Now, uh, <laughs> hey, uh, wouldn't it be kind of great if, if we could uh, hear New York for the Giants sign, uh, say, King Kong? I mean, why do we have to... Is there anything in the NFL rules that specify that players have to be certifiably human? Now, is there? I'm asking that question. I mean, I can imagine, just just great, you know, it, it, when that breakthrough, see, it's prejudice and bias, again, that's what does it. We, uh, we, we, we very much prejudice. We think we're not prejudiced because we allow the women to vote, you know, or, uh, you know, uh, we, we, we allow people of other colors to uh, walk on the streets without, uh, you know, without the public lynchings and stuff. We call this, uh, we call this tolerance and progress, and yet, uh, Kind of, think of the fantastic breakthrough. The Cincinnati Bengals announced that they have signed a secret number one draft choice, which only they have drafted. Nobody else knew about them. They signed them uh, for backfield uses for next year. And the opening kickoff is kicked. The specialty team runs down the field. They, uh, you know, the Bengals, uh, the, the opening play of the season. And they are stopped at the 24-yard line. A couple of passes later, they're down on the 6-yard line. Now, this is when the going gets rough, right, Jerry? That last five or six yards on that football field is like trying to move the Empire State Building maybe a foot and a half to the right. It's tough, man. It's tough. That's why so many field goals are kicked. Because it is in this part of the field when when the defensive line goes back and says, okay, off with the gloves. We have messed up. We've given the customers a lot of fun between <laughs> and now is the time to do it. Oh, gets mean. Well, at that point, Cincinnati Bengals call 42Y yellow, which is their play, and uh, down the runway, out of the uh, out of the dressing room comes their number one draft choice, a 2,422-pound male rhinoceros who has been trained over the season to hold the ball in his mouth and to charge forward upon the cry of 32 white yellow. It just, it, it, uh, it would really put an extra little kick in the game, wouldn't it? Especially if he charges right through, knocks down the goalpost, tramples three all-star tackles, goes right over the wall, and goes right through the stadium and winds up in the parking lot on a rampage. Now, that, uh, that would give Howard Cosell a hell of a lot to talk about. And he would say, of course, and there is my good friend, old double-horned McDougal. <laughs> you notice Howard Cosell has all nothing but good friends. Good friends. And yet, I have been in this business for years, and I have never met, never once met, 
a person who would concede to be a friend of Howard Cosell. So maybe that's a part. Is it time for the station break yet, Jerry? Yeah, okay. Well, let's, let's do it. This is WOR New York. <laughs> and uh, before we go any further, would you please hit the uh, the uh, wine button, please? The Dubonnet button, please. Yes, Dubonnet. Before the holidays get here, it's time to think about giving Dubonnet. Before that's the time to think about some Dubonnet To drink it for the proper time of day To have yourself a Dubonnet Good boy, yeah, good boy The time before Dubonnet The time to drink Dubonnet is before meals The time to give Dubonnet is now during the holidays Take some along to a friend's home next time you drop in and give someone the gift of wine this season. If they're good friends, they'll open it and offer you a Dubonnet. Dubonnet, America's best-selling before-dinner wine. Before, yeah, before. It's the time before Dubonnet. Dubonnet Company, New York, New York. That's a great idea. If, uh, you know, Jerry just said the well, the Dubonnet was flowing here like water in the studio. That's why we have such trouble keeping this thing on the air. You, know, you drink a little bit of that stuff, and it becomes not only before, it becomes after. But uh, <laughs> nevertheless, uh, he mentioned the giraffe would be kind of a good thing to sign. I I, uh, I will buy that. Uh, boy, that would handle uh, Jamal, I'll tell you. You put a good, a medium-sized giraffe out there, and even Will Chamberlain would have one hell of a time getting rebounds. You, I mean, really, don't you just see this giraffe up there trained to just play rebounds? See, he's got this long. You know, their necks are extremely flexible. You wouldn't, you wouldn't worry about him scoring. See, he's a great rebounder in the league. And uh, any time that ball comes off the backboard, no matter which backboard it is, see. And by the way, they're fast as grease lightning. If you've ever seen a. A giraffe run, man. They go like, like, uh, they go like snake, man. They move, and I could just see him. You know, his neck sticking up there. <laughs> These guys leap. When that is a shot, the backhand push shot, and misses, and then he just picks it off the backboard with his mouth, he like that, and then he flings his head to one side, and of course, all the way down the down the court, you have this lightning fast gibbon, uh, who's who's a fantastic. Have you ever seen a gibbon move? Oh my God. And they got great hands. And uh, I'd like to see a given, you know, sort of set up the floor play. Kind of like an extra talent of the Walt Fraser. Uh, what is there against this? And I'd say another thing. Very few of them would be jumping from one club to the other. Unless, of course, you, you got a hold of a really sharp agent. In which case... <laughs> well, I, I, uh, there's other animals I could see uh, that could be signed. Uh, for example... Uh, I think I think one of the great animals that could be signed for, say, a football team is a small but very angry wild boar that could be trained <laughs> that could be trained to play offensive center, and uh, <laughs> you know he's trained to hold the ball between his tusks, see, and uh, then at the at the snap as, as the quarterback snaps out a second, three, two, one, go, he just flips the ball back over his shoulder and then charges ahead. I might add, that would be one hell of a play to do... That would kill the Blitz. <laughs> of course, what, the, what would happen then? Naturally, being, being man is infinitely ingenious. Man would then, of course, counter 
if, uh, say, the uh, Green Bay Packers hired a, a, a large male West Virginia mountain boar to be center on, on the offensive team, what do you think the, the defense would counter with? And they have to counter with something. <laughs> no, 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 no. You cannot equip your your defensive backfield with uh, thirty out six rifles. That's that's uh, that that is against. The, although I think the fans would like it. I I uh, knowing. <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, I I think uh, I think what you'd like to see. Uh, of course, then you you're just getting out of hand. Of course, you you can just see that the, that if the game is is getting right down to the you know it's getting down to the real rough. Uh, the nitty gritty, as they used to remember when they used that expression on the nitty gritty. It's getting right down there, you know. I can just see uh, the defensive uh, uh, team lining up there, you know, waiting, see. And then just as the offense moves back and they're just getting in their formation, it, it looks like it's going to be a double reverse to the right. The uh, defensive left linebacker just drops a small hand grenade uh, right into. The <laughs> and uh, you know, well, you know, it's a six and one. But the, I don't know how we got into this. I was going to tell you the story about this friend, and wasn't I, about the about the bear? Well, of course, uh, so many things today are inexplicable, totally unexplained. Uh, one cannot explain uh, Watergate in simple terms. You can't. Has, has it occurred to you that we may have a major hex on our country? It occurred to you that we may be suffering from, so, you know, one 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 witch doctor. In the Zambia, got bugged one day, and he hit the right uh, combination with the powdered bat's wings, and he's jumping up and down, waving rattles in the air, you know, human skulls. He's put a terrible hex on us. And if you want to learn about hexes, please hit the uh, magic button. The world's greatest magicians perform at the World Festival of Magic and the Occult, the weirdest show on earth, an unforgettable experience. Yes. For the whole family. Hold each other's hands. Magic Festival of Magic and the Occult. Weirdest show on earth. Wednesday, December 12th through Sunday, December 30th at the Felt Forum in Madison Square Garden Center. For oh, ticket oh, information, oh. call 212-564-4400. Tickets also at Ticketron. Magic. Oh, yeah, I was going to tell you the story. Now, I, I'll make it brief. I, I, I have a feeling. We got totally off the track here tonight. I'm sorry. Totally off the track. And you should have seen the great show we had lined up for you. I got this uh, this uh, group called the Dancing Opossums. Yeah, three dancing opossums play ocarinas. Fantastic. Uh, by the way, speaking of uh, fantastic shows, uh, <laughs> I don't want to bring that up. The other day, I go up to an educational television station. Now, you want to hear? You want to hear stuff that happens really in TV stations? You don't hear about this stuff, you know. It's funny, a uh, TV guide is always giving you the inside story of, uh, you know, you just uh, fill in the blanks. Uh, what is Mary Tyler Moore really like? You know, well, I don't know. The, uh, the the true story of television, radio, showbiz rarely comes out. The other day I go up to this, this intellectual uh, public service type station you know, where they're always doing a comprehensive survey of Etruscan art, you know, kind of thing. A three-part survey of the Punic Wars, uh, narrated by uh, Laurence Olivier. And it's great stuff, and it's stuff you can hardly wait to see. 
And uh, here they've got all this stuff on the air. You know, it's going out. You think all these people over there are intellectual. Let me tell you what happened. I walked up there, and they were all this intellectual stuff is going out on the air, actually on the air. You know, all kinds of English professors saying, and, uh, the theory, of course, behind this particular solar system, they're going out with pointers. Why is the guys at the television, the actual guys at the TV station, they've got a, a, a chain where they're playing a tape and they're looking at it on a color monitor. It's the most unbelievable, indescribable porn you ever saw in your life. <laughs> it's in there. <laughs> on the one hand, you see the intellectual channel, and on the other hand, you see the channel channel. And, and I'll just tell you the truth. So what? Uh, nevertheless, that's what I'm saying. Behind the 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 scenes in showbiz is rarely actually ever told to. Well, this buddy of mine, who is a great romantic hero in the films these days, I've known him for a long time, comes to this little tacky town up in New England with the gray houses, with the '53 Fords, and the weeds in the back, the, the crummy little general store where all they got is snuff for sale, you know. Few cans of Campbell's pork and beans. I got it. Bad scene. And it's winter all the time. This town has. It's like Lower Slavovia. You recall the, the country that Lower Slavovia with the schmooze? Don't you remember that? And sure, you know, it's uh, Al Cap. And this is the way this town is. It's always winter. It's always either raining or snowing, or somebody's always come down with a gigantic case of the flu and they had to fly him to Boston. And, you know, it's that kind of scene. Well, he has the old family house is still there in this town where he grew up in. And uh, there are a few ancient, decrepit relatives still living in these, this old house. It's a house right out of a Shirley Jackson novel. You've ever re- read Shirley Jackson novels? You haven't? Well, <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, you know. When you're, when you're illiterate, there's very few things that a human being can talk to you about. But, uh, it's, it's right out of a Shirley Jack. Let's put it on this basis. It makes the Charles Adams house. You've seen that house? Okay. Makes the Charles Adams house look like a Miami Beach condominium. Right? This is an ancient, old, decrepit house. Well, he went up there here a couple of years ago, just before he was going to get married. And uh, he took his uh, elegant uh, girl that he was marrying, who was another famous actor, actress in this case, uh, they went up there, and uh, they were looking at the old homestead. And uh, his old decrepit uncle uh, greeted him, and they went all over the house, <laughs> you know, looking at the old stuff. They had the old furniture and all that. Everything was there from the 19th century. And he says, you know, you must have some interesting stuff up in the closet, up up in the attic upstairs, you know. Just fantastic stuff. I remember as a kid going up there, and I'd like to go up there and just see some of that old stuff. And so they go up in the attic. Well, here is this enormous collection of impedimenta, real junk from thousands of years ago. All the stuff, you know, old New England families never throw anything away. I mean, a, a typical New England family of the 19th century, if they lit a match, they would save the rest of the match. They, they, you never might know, you know, when you might need an extra little bit of firewood. Uh, you might need a stick. So up in the up in the attic is all this stuff, millions of things, all kinds of stuff, old old coke bottles and everything they save from. And you never know, you know. So he's got it all up there, and he's poking around. Dust is everywhere. He's poking around, and he sees something he remembered from the ancient days when he was a little kid. He says, 
What is that over there? And the old uncle says, well, I'll tell you what that is. That's a bear skin. He says, a bear skin? Oh, of course. Yes, your grandfather, Ebenezer, shot that bear outside of Portland, Maine. So he looks at the bear. Here's a bear skin all rolled up with a head. You know, the head with a big growling-looking face with the teeth and all that stuff. He says, that's wonderful, Uncle Elmer. I wonder if if, uh, you know, if I could have that. That would just be beautiful in, in our new apartment in New York. And so Uncle Uncle Elmer says, of course. I think your grandfather, Ebenezer, would be proud to have you have that bear. And so at that point, he takes the bear, and they pile it in his Ferrari. And they put it in the back, and they drive to New York, and he has a bear skin. So he takes it to this place where uh, they cleaned it for him, say, and it's beautiful. It's a gigantic bearskin, you know, the kind that lays on the on the hearth there next to the crackling fireplace, and it has enormous eyes, big glass eyes, huge white teeth. You know, it's a kind of bear. Ah! See, there it is. It's beautiful. So he has this all clean, just great looking. It's a it's a great big black bear, and it you know looked fantastic in his apartment. So the next week after he got the bear back, now this is the important part of the story, the next week, he is about to be married now. And uh, he's got this beautiful apartment over there in Sutton Place. And he's very proud of it. He's got this fantastic bear skin, which was shot by his grandfather, Ebenezer, outside of Dismal Seepage, New Hampshire. So he gets the bear all cleaned up. Everything is beautiful. He has an elegant wedding, very formal. I mean, this is the kind of a crowd that came to this wedding that didn't even have to rent the tuxedos. They had tuxedos. <laughs> you know, and wear them three, four times a week. And so he's he's at this uh, beautiful wedding ceremony, and they finally get married. Now, all, you, you know, in fact, the rice they threw out, this this crowd was so was so rich that they didn't throw, you know, uh, Uncle Ben's you know, minute rice. They threw actual wild rice from Minnesota. Uh, you know, you know what this stuff goes upon. A very elegant wedding. So he, he he takes his bride up to his apartment and they were going to spend the first night here in New York and then they were going to go to places like Corsica and so on. So they they very, very romantic night. Champagne. And, uh, they're 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 on the bearskin there, they're looking at the fire. And it's just beautiful evening. They're there with the crackling fire and the and the, the, the warming. They had the they had toddies of one kind or another, and just beautiful evening. Wood cuts on the wall, the whole thing. I mean, actual uh, wood cuts done by, say, uh, an early Greek woodcutter of the third century B.C. This is the kind of stuff he had. You know that very very elegant. Well, they spent an extremely romantic night. And the next day, they took the plane, chartered plane, if you're curious. Yes, this is the kind of people they were. The movie company he worked for chartered a plane, and he flew to Corsica with his bride. Now, that's coming a long way for a kid that came from a second-rate, second-rate deserted town (laughs) in New England. He's really up there high up on the hog. Well... About the third day in Corsica, they were going to you know, Corfu and places like that. About the third or fourth day, uh, he began to notice something funny is beginning to happen to him. He can't quite exp- figure out what it is. He, he, he 
goes to uh, one of the elegant casinos in Monte Carlo, for example, and he had this hand-fitted tuxedo that had been fitted by small Italian elves. Fitted is just beautiful. Yeah, it just looked like it was poured on him. So he goes to the casino, and he's standing there trying to look like a David Niven at the, uh, <laughs> at the Baccarat table. And uh, he keeps feeling this funny thing between his shoulder blades. It looks like something was running up and down his shoulder blades. What the hell's going on here? See, so uh, he didn't say anything about it. It was embarrassing. He figured he developed a rash from too many helpings of Crip Suzette, something like that. You know, possibly got a little little bad Napoleon brandy. Uh, who knew? So uh, that night, uh, he goes to the elegant hotel, takes about four showers, figures uh, he'd wash it off, whatever it is, and uh, they continue their revelry. Well, uh, the next night, he's, he, it's even worse. He's, he's itching all over the place now. See, his kneecaps are being the itch. And that's kind of embarrassing when you're a major movie star and you're being interviewed by uh, elegant interviewers from things like Cinema Verite. And then you're standing there scratching, and <coughs> excuse me, on the, in the itch under your arms. So he, he, uh, he began to get a little concerned over this. And uh, he, uh, he didn't say anything about his bride, of course, this beautiful elegant lady. I mean, you, you wouldn't believe it. This, this lady looks like a... Uh, well, she looks like a, a, a Packard hubcap. She's got that, that clean, chiseled, chromium, classical beauty. You know, kind of lady, you know, the kind of you see once in a while uh, peering at you from the pages of, uh, of uh, Baz- Harper's Bazaar, once in a while when the, somebody's riffling a, uh, the New York Times fashion supplement... You once in a while see these elfin eyes peering out from you. You, you know, the kind of lady that's always stepping out of a private helicopter. You know, <laughs> you've seen those eyes, right? Well, she's that type, see. She even had the kind of name that had Melanie. That's a, that's a name for you. I'll give her a knobby plumey here. Her name was Melanie. Uh, her name is even more trail of God than that. But, you know, Melanie Smithers or something like that. So here's Melanie about the fourth or fifth day into their elegant honeymoon, Melanie is sitting there eating a peach melpa, and uh, he's working his way through a baked Alaska, and uh, the waiters are, are uh, salaming all over the place in this little elegant restaurant uh, in, the, in, the, uh, in the Spanish uh, highlands, when suddenly she says, said, Gaunt, incidentally, uh, we'll give him a name. His name, uh, his film name is Gaunt Rockwell. She says, go on. He says, yes, Melanie. She says, go on. I, I, I'm just going to have to tell you. She says, I'm having terrible skin problems. He says, skin problems? What kind, dear? She says, I don't know. There's something between my shoulder blades. And he says, uh, by George, that's strange. What the... He you know, didn't want to admit. He says, by George, that's strange. Uh, do you mind tonight in our little boudoir have a look? She says, no, no. But uh, it's just very embarrassing. She says, the other day when we were being interviewed by the, the London Observer, I was having so much difficulty just sitting still. And he says, uh, well, it's uh, strange. Perhaps it's the water. We'll order Vichy in the room tonight. Well, to make a long story short, they had to cut their honeymoon one week short because of an intense, unbelievable itch that began to develop in both of them. And in fact, it pursued them all the way through uh, the more elegant spas of Central and Southern Europe. And finally, they, could, they went to three doctors, nothing. They couldn't find a thing. So finally, he comes back to New York. 
<laughs> and I saw him two days later. And I said, how's it going, God? He said, oh, my God, I can't tell you. I'm dying. I'm dying. I said, what's the matter, God? You're, 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 you're the toast of the Western world, for God's sakes. You are the sex symbol of the world. What do you mean you're dying? You have married Melanie Smithers. Melanie Smithers, who has at least 14 or 15 more teeth than any human being. He said, I don't care. I can't. Oh, my God. I've got a fantastic trouble. I said, what's the matter, God? <gasps> well, that night, he finally decided he was going to go to uh, the most elegant dermatologist in all of New York, which he did. He goes to this elegant dermatologist who examined him minutely with uh, microscopes and with uh, various types of slides, one thing and another, you know. And uh, in the next room, being, elegant, being elegantly examined by a very elegant lady dermatologist, well, if you realize that, uh, it's a whole different ball game for movie stars. This elegant lady dermatologist is going over Melanie with a fine-tooth comb, if I may use a somewhat crude expression, trying to figure out what the hell is biting her shoulder blades. Well, <laughs> you want to hear? I better not tell you. So they call in several other dermatologists for consultation because they couldn't find anything really. And then one dermatologist, an, an old gentleman who walked around with a crooked stick in his hand, that kind, you know, and he has a big brass hearing aid with a horn on the end. You know, the country says, hey, hey, what was that? That kind of old dermatologist. Yes, he was a dermatologist who must have examined the cold sores on Attle of the Hun. He was that old. He took one look at him and says, I, I know what that is. And uh, at that point, my friend, Gaunt says, excuse me, doctor, but what is it? He says, a bear weevils. He says, what? Well, <laughs> I'll tell you exactly what happened. My friend, the elegant movie star, and his elegant movie actress wife, were the first people, quite probably since the late 1820s, who came down with a virulent case of bear weevils. And you know what this is? Now listen carefully what it is, friends. Bears have a very exclusive kind of extremely tiny, almost microscopic weevils. They're little tiny bugs. Actually, what they are, let's put it this way, they're vest pocket fleas. They're smaller than flea fleas. You know how little a flea is? Well, if you can imagine a flea having a pet that comes and sits on its knee, <laughs> you know, that feeds... Uh, there at its feet uh, and barks. Well, this is a bear weevil. They're little tiny things. They're so small. They're smaller than the point of a pin. But, oh, man, are they persistent. I mean, their bite far exceeds their size. I mean, micro-ounce for micro-ounce, the bear weevil is the itchiest creature in the Western world and the most difficult to cure. Well, at that point, the old man says, you got you have bear weevils. And all the other uh, dermatologists were aghast. They said, what do you mean, bear weevils? This is ridiculous, doctor. After all, this is Gaunt Rockwell, and uh, he lives on Southern Place, bear weevils. Uh, where would he get bear weevils? And the old man says, I don't care, those are bear weevils. My God, when I was growing up in the 1820s, I remember bear weevils. Well, I remember Daniel Boone coming in. You know, he, he starts talking about bear weevil cases that he knew as a youth. You must understand that old doctors have seen a lot of great things that young doctors at Mount Sinai have only heard of. 
Oh yeah, an old doctor. You know, when a when a when a good roaring case of uh, of uh, diphtheria arrives, he recognizes it instantly. His cousin Arlene had it. <laughs> I'm telling you, many doctors have never seen this kind of stuff. See, but this old doctor instantly recognized out of his youth a case of virulent bear weevils. So at that point. The, the first dermatologist got my friend Gaunt. They, they didn't, this was all, by the way, done in consultation. My friend didn't know anything about this. They got him, they got him into, uh, into one of the cons- consulting rooms and this elegant dermatologist who went for maybe two or $300 a minute. Uh, he says, uh, Mr. Rockwell, he said, uh, we have uh, a curious uh, thing here. One of the, uh, one of the consulting physicians uh, is of the opinion that you <laughs> this is ridiculous bear weevils <laughs> George isn't that strange well you know you get these old coots and at that point my friend's gone says oh my god yes bear weevils and at that point the elegant dermatologist says uh, bear weevils uh, have you been consorting with bears lately I mean, you know, uh, you, you can only get bear weevils from very intimate contact with bears. You do not get this from just going out to the Bronx Zoo, you know. It's intimate contact, because the bear weevil is a very rare creature. And Gaunt said, yes, I have had intimate contact with a bear. Of course, immediately, this uh, caused an electric atmosphere to just charge the office. He says, I, I didn't know what I was saying, so I was so... So, uh, so by that time, so going up the wall with this itch so much that I know what I'm saying. Yes, I have had intimate contact with a bear. At that point, the doctor says, "Indeed, uh, Miss Murgatroyd, would you please turn off your intercom? I, I'd like to talk to uh, Mr. Rockwell about very interesting but very intimate matter." Uh, now, you were saying you've had uh, intimate contact with a bear. Now. Uh, of course, you realize this is in the this is in the strictest uh, confidence. How are they? At that point, my friend says, "What do you mean? How are they? What?" He says, "Well, bears. I've always been curious. I I, uh, I, I uh, I've read of these cases in the in the abnormal psychology. Of course, I'm not a psychologist. You must understand, Mister Rockwell. And I'm very and I don't put a man down for what he digs." Uh, I certainly don't. Uh, I'm uh, I'm a, I'm a man of our times, and I believe in uh, I believe in free sexual expression. But I'm just curious. <laughs> you don't uh, mind if uh, I ask you a few professional questions? He said, "What are you? What are you suggesting?" Well, I'm not suggesting anything, uh, Mr. Rockwell. <laughs> uh, believe me, I'm not going to be the person to suggest anything with you. I uh, I merely uh, would like to know. You you mentioned that you've had some rather intimate contact with the bear. And after all, bear weevils are not the, are not a thing one sees often here in my Park Avenue office. And I'm just curious, uh, just uh, for the record, I may write a piece on it. Naturally, I wouldn't use your name for the AMA Journal, uh, one of the rare cases of bear weevils to break out. And I'm just curious, uh, and by the way, man to man, <laughs> let's talk about it, just man to man. I, I've always been, rather, well, how can I say it? It's kind of an interesting thought. suddenly hit Gaunt that he was getting a reputation he hadn't bargained for. And more than that, he could suddenly see his case being discussed in the National Enquirer. You know, big headlines. 
shows his picture there, a smudgy picture next to him was a gigantic Kodiak bear. It says, are the rumors true about Gaunt Rockwell? Doctor inside spills all. He says, now wait a minute, let's get it straight here, Doctor, before we go any further. Let's get it straight. I want to I get this straight. I want to get this straight. Hold it there, man. That knob is supposed to be turned down. That's it. There you go. He says, let's get this straight, Doctor. Now, it may be Christmas out. I mean, I can hear nothing but Christmas music being played and sung all over the streets. But I'm going to tell you one thing, Doctor. One more suggestion like that. And may I use an expression of the streets, Doctor, that I learned as a boy? Oh, of course, Mr. Rockwell. Feel free to discuss anything here in this office. He said, I'm going to kick your butt right up around your ears. Now, I don't know what the technical description or the medical description of your butt is, and I don't know much Latin, but that's what I'm going to do if you suggest that I've been having a little hanky-panky with bears. And outside, the Christmas music continued. It was the time of goodwill, peace, and Christmas joy to one and all. My princess, it was like some fantastic nightmare. I was still itching, and it had moved out from my shoulder blades, and the backs of my knees were itching now. I had been infested by these damn bear weevils, and this guy was suggesting that it came from hanky-panky with bears. And so we talked it over for about 20 minutes. So I finally convinced him that after all, it was just from this bare rug. The doctor said, well, of course, you realize that it's very difficult to believe that a bare rug that was shot in 1827 would continue to have bear weevils for all those years. I don't know what the lifespan of the bear weevil is. <laughs> Gaunt. But uh, it's quite unusual, quite unique. He says, and I went out with a can of kerosene. Did you know that the only known cure for bear weevils is kerosene? And so for the next two weeks, the next two weeks, the two most famous movie stars in America made pictures, went around to the interviews, saw people, amid all the great glorious cheer of the life of the star. As Christmas moved to a climax, covered with kerosene, both of them together. That's it. There you go. I knew you'd do it. <laughs> now, if you think this is all an invented story, it is not. And the great fear of my friend is today, and he's a famous, he's a famous movie star right now. By the way, the, what, thought, what reminded me of this whole story is in the middle of all this Christmas cheer. He called me up two days ago. And I said, still hanging around with them bears, going? He said, don't you mention it, even on the phone. You don't know who's listening to the phone. And I said, that's right. I said, it's probably already, probably the Watergate committee's got the tape already. Now they're playing it. He said, don't laugh about it. If it ever gets out that I had anything to do with bears, oh, my God, I'd be ruined. That's not necessarily. In this day, uh, may open a whole new career for you. You know, those pornies are making dough like men. There ain't many guys. That's, you know. Uh, don't you get funny with me. 
great fear of all that he suffers is that it will one day come out and that doctor will spill out. Bring it up there. Thank you very much. Out with the music. Ho, ho, ho. Life goes on. Next, John Wingate and Mike Beat. <laughs> 